Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Lord God, okay? And so that's talking, you know, generally speaking, we go, okay, that is the one God. But then Yahweh talks about Yahweh and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, and then says, you know, then, then identifies them as being the same person. This is out of the book of Isaiah. And so you have this, this whole thing where there's like a, a plurality going on there. When, when you see God make mankind, God says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? You know, I mean, is he looking in the mirror and going, let us make man in our image? Who's he talking to? And you see that when the, when the flood is gonna take place, or excuse me, when the, when the curse upon Babylon is going to take place, let us go down and see if these things are so. And it's an us type of thing. Well, who is God talking to? And some people will say, angels, are you made in the, Im- Im- in the image of angels? No, you're made in the image of God, right? And so you, you see these things in the Old Testament. Here's another thing. I just mentioned the word Elohim. The word Elohim is the, is the word for God in the Old Testament, but in actuality, it's a plural noun. And so you put an I am on the end of a word, and it's plural. And so Elo- Elohim means gods. And so when you, when you have the phrase, Yahweh Elohim, that would normally be translated Lord gods, unless there's a singular verb. And so, you know, there's, there's this whole thing in languages where words have to go together. We have the same thing in English. It's not as striking as it is in Greek or as it is in Hebrew. And so if you have a, if you have a plural for the noun, the verb has to be plural too. Otherwise, the grammar's bad. Okay, and so normally it would say, uh, if you're talking about Elohim, Elohim, they said, or Elohim, they did, or Elohim, they were worshiped. And what that would, that would be is the gods they said, the gods they did, the gods they were worshiped. And that's how, that's how you would translate that. And so Elohim can mean false gods, but when it's connected with Yahweh, or when it's connected with a singular verb, it will say, Elohim, he said. Elohim, he did. Elohim, he was worshiped. And it's in the singular. And when it's ever in, whenever it's in the singular, it's translated God. And so you have in the name itself, it's a plural name for God that is used of the one God and specifically used of Yahweh. And so you have these hints all through the Old Testament of the plurality of God. And then you get to the New Testament, you find out that there's three guys called God. And so one is the Father, obviously. Nobody argues with that. Jesus is called God, flat out, just flat out called God. And actually, verses in the New Testament that are applied to Yahweh in the Old Testament are applied to Jesus. 
And so he's called Yahweh in the New Testament by Paul the Apostle, for example, okay? And so you have Jesus flat out called God and Peter in Acts chapter five flat out calls the Holy Spirit God. And so they're all three called God. Check this out. Just, I I don't wanna go way into this because I just don't want to. But turn over to Romans chapter eight. Watch this, verse six. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Okay, so who are we talking about? God, right? For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? So we're talking about God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so now we're talking about the spirit of God. Okay, so that can mean a couple of things. We can be talking about the Holy Spirit, and that's most likely what's being spoken about there, or we can talk about the attitude or the mind of God there. But then look at the next part of the verse. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So now what Paul's done is conflated the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. They're interchangeable now. So is it it the Spirit of God or is it the Spirit of Christ? And then it goes on and says, if Christ is in you. Okay, so now it's the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, and now it's just flat out Christ. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who who raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, the Father. So do we, have, do we have the Holy Spirit living inside us or Christ living inside of, inside of us or do we have the Father living inside of us? Which one do we have living inside of us? Yes, yes. yeah, that's, that's the answer. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so... Every person of the Trinity there is interchanged in those passages and spoken of as as being the one who is doing the thing in that passage. And so when you're going through the Bible, and there's lots of passages that are like that. I could show you a number of them. But when you're going through the Bible and you see what's done with the different persons that are mentioned, the Father is called God, the Holy Spirit is called God, Jesus is called God, And then you have this whole thing where they're separate. And this is something I didn't understand when I was first a Christian. So my my favorite illustration of that is Jesus is on the earth and he's getting baptized by John the Baptist. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's coming down in the form of a dove. And from heaven, the Father is speaking, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you you look at that and you go, okay, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father. They can't be the same guy unless Jesus is you know, doing a puppet show with the Holy Spirit and doing a ventriloquism act with the Father, okay? They can't be the same guy. And when Jesus is praying, who's he talking to? Is he talking to himself? No, he's talking to the Father. This is one of those things I didn't get because I kind of thought that you know, God was a big blob up in the sky and so when he wanted to be Jesus, he just stuck down the Jesus appendage. You know, and when he wanted to be the Holy Spirit, he kind of stuck down the Holy Spirit appendage. And that's an ancient heresy. 
And so what you have in the Bible is you have three persons who are all called God. There's only one God. Each of those three persons is fully God. And yet the Godhead is those three persons together. And people go, that's not understandable. And the reason it's not understandable is because you're dealing with a being who's outside of dimensionality. That's why. If God was nothing but a big man up in heaven, that's made up. That's Zeus. That's Apollo. That's that kind of stuff. But the fact that God pictures himself, and he's, he's the one who did this stuff. He's the one who revealed it. The fact that God pictures himself as being three persons and yet, and yet one, and you can't interchange the persons in the sense of the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, but the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father, and the, and the Father's not the Son. And so when you're looking at this, there's a distinction. So three persons, the one God, that's where the Trinity came from. It didn't come from the Council of Nicaea, you know, later on in 326. That's, it didn't come from there. It comes from the Bible. These guys were forced into this. Okay, so whose image are you made in? How many parts you got? Three? You have body, soul, and spirit. The Bible's clear on this. You're a three-part being. Body, soul, and spirit. And yet you're one. Nobody calls me Steve's, right? When When I die, my spirit's gonna leave my body, so is my soul. That's the soul is a part of me that reasons and thinks. Spirit is a part of me that communicates with God. My spirit and my soul are going to leave my body. My body's going to be in a grave or cremated or whatever my wife does with me, right? If, she, if I die first. That's, that's the way it should happen because I don't want to be here without her. Anyway, so I'm, my body and my, my spirit are going to be separated, right? And yet that's me. I'm one. And so my body isn't all of me. My spirit's not all of me. My soul's not all of me. All of me is my body, soul, and spirit. That's why there's a resurrection. It's all put back together. But I'm not three persons in here. I'm one person with three parts. And so I'm a, I'm a step down from God, step down. And people will say, how can, how can this happen? How can that happen? How can you have three persons and yet they're one God and that kind of stuff? And again, it's not understandable, but I can, you know, one of the things I like to do with people is, is use kind of geometry illustrations. So I don't have a pen, but if, I, if up here I made a circle on this piece of paper and then I made a triangle down here, is a circle ever a triangle? Is a circle ever a triangle? No, circle is never a triangle unless you add a dimension. And if you add a dimension, I can take that piece of paper and I can roll it up like this and I can make a cone. And there's a circle. And if I made the cone right, that would be a triangle. And so what you can't do in two dimensions is something that you can absolutely do in three dimensions. And it's something that you need to keep in mind when you're thinking about God, because God is not a five-dimensional being. We're in four dimensions, you know, three plus time. God is not a five-dimensional being. He's beyond dimensionality at all. And so if you could understand, if you could understand anything about God in totality, you wouldn't be dealing with God. It doesn't work that way. So how can God be everywhere at the same time? How can God know the end from the beginning? How can God answer everybody's prayer on the planet all at the same time? How can he hear their prayers all at the same time? 
And we can go through and do one list, uh, after, you know, one, one aspect of the characteristics of God after another, after another, after another. And every one of them is going to be beyond our understanding because we're dealing with somebody who's outside of dimensionality. And again, that's the deal. And so, um, you know, I, I finally figured that out. And that, again, is one of the things that the Jews had a real problem with with Jesus because he called himself the son of God. How can you be the son of God and not be God? And if you're, if you're saying that you're God, then it's blasphemous and, and that kind of stuff, unless he really is. And if he really is, it's absolutely the truth. And then these guys are gonna stand before the Lord in judgment. I'm not getting very far, am I? John chapter 18, back over there. It says then that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Verse 33, it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. And so Jesus, Pilate comes in before Jesus, and this is actually Pilate before Jesus. It's not Jesus before Pilate. And one of the things that you see with Jesus is he has this conversation with Pilate that he didn't have with any of the other guys. He didn't have this conversation with Caiaphas. He didn't have it with Annas. He certainly didn't have it with Herod. He only had it with Pilate. And it's because Jesus knows that Pilate is being put in a position that he didn't choose. Jesus knows that Pilate knows nothing about him, knows nothing about the gospel, knows nothing about Judaism in the, in the sense that specifically the Jews do. He knows nothing about the Bible and what Jesus is doing is he's trying to reach Pilate. And admittedly, Jesus already knows that that's not going to happen because Jesus is the Lord, and he knows the, end from the, he knows the end from the beginning. But you know there's coming a time when Pilate, is, when Pilate is going to stand before Christ. It hasn't happened yet. When, a, when an unbeliever dies, they go into Hades, and it's not until the last judgment that they stand before the Lord. And so Pilate's in Hades right now, and, but the, t the day is coming when he's gonna be standing before Jesus, and he's gonna be standing for, before Jesus without any excuse. Because Jesus, when he was standing in front of Pilate, tried to reach the guy, even knowing that he wasn't going to respond. And so when Pilate comes in and says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, who told you this? And what happens with Pilate here is he becomes defensive and he's dismissive. Jesus in the, in the passage says, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? And so what Jesus is trying to do is enter into a conversation with Pilate where he can, where he can have a one-on-one -on -one with the guy. And Pilate doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to have anything to do with this. Um, I've been arrested once. And I got arrested after I was a Christian. And so I got arrested for warrants that I stacked up while I was backslidden. So I had a bunch of warrants. 
This one day I go to work and God was disciplining me. He told me that morning, you're gonna have a trial today, Steve. <laughs> I was reading through the Psalms. I read the Psalm and God clearly said I was gonna have a trial that day. And I was all joyful as I'm going to work and then I pass a cop, the cop follows me. I know I have a tail light out. He pulls me over, you know, right on my job site. He pulls me over and he says, you got a tail light out? And I go, yeah, I know, and that's not all. And he goes, what, what do you got? I go, well, I got some warrants. And he goes, well, let me go check. And then he comes back and he says, yep, you got warrants. And so I figure, I'm a Christian now, I'm following the Lord. And so, you know, I'm getting discipline here. But the reason that this is happening to me is because God wants to use me. So maybe God wants to use me in the life of these two cops who are sitting right in front of me, right? And so I'm in the back with the cuffs on behind my back. They have a little cubby thing in there so that your hands will fit. And so I'm, I'm sitting there with the cuffs on behind my back and I start trying to have a conversation with these cops and they don't want to have anything to do with me at all. And when Pilate is answering Jesus, he says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? He just dismisses Jesus. You're nothing but a malefactor. You're nothing but a criminal. You're nothing but a, you know, but a, but a guy that I don't want to hear from. And so one of the things, you know, we got, I, I've got some friends who are cops, uh, some friends who are sheriff's deputies. And one of the things that you find is when people are in jail, they get really religious. <laughs> and they want to talk to you about all these things. And, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, these are not the guys that you want to listen to. And so I was in that situation. That's the situation Jesus is in right here. He's before, before Pilate and Pilate thinks he's the judge. And Jesus, when, he, when Pilate says, what have you done? Jesus answers and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So if Jesus' kingdom were, were of this world, his servants would fight. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And so are we in Jesus' kingdom? I'm not saying that there's not times when we should fight, but that's not the go-to. Right? And so the Bible talks about the fact that we need to love our enemies and we need to pray for those who spitefully use us, that kind of situation. And we need to be kind to people because this world is not our home. But there's coming a time when this world is going to be our home. When Jesus comes back the second time, the Bible says that he comes back with people riding on white horses, an army riding on white horses. Guess who that is? That's you and me. We're coming back with Christ. We're gonna be riding on white horses. Guess what we're gonna be doing? We're gonna be fighting. And it's, you know, it's gonna be an uneven battle, <laughs> but we're gonna be coming back and we're going to be fighting for the kingdom. Jesus is gonna take over the planet. It's just not happening yet. And so he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore says to him, are you a king then? And Jesus again answers, you say rightly that I'm a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so Jesus says, I have a kingdom, I am a king and I come to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? That's the next phrase that comes out of his mouth. This is exactly where our culture is at. You talk to people about truth and they go, what is truth? Well, that's just your truth. I got, I got news for you. Truth is not something that can be yours and not mine or mine and not yours. If it's true, it's true for me and it's true for you. Otherwise, guess what it's not? 
That's not truth. And you don't get to go around redefining words. And that's what a lot of people do. They go around redefining words so all that comes out of their mouth is gobbledygook. And Pilate is one of those guys. He's cynical. He's been a Roman soldier for a very long time. He's living in a country where he's got a whole lot of people who hate his guts. And he's really not interested in a, in a philosophy lesson from a Jewish guy who's standing right in front of him at this point, even though the Jewish guy is the Messiah, the Son of God, and is speaking to Pilate about truth. And so what Pilate does is, is he goes, what is truth? And he turns around and walks away. Lord Bacon said, what is truth? Suggesting Pilate and would not stay for an answer. Jesus would have answered him if he really had the question. What you do see Pilate doing is walking out and going to the Jews and saying, I find no fault in him. And so that's a good thing. But you know, the, the question, what is truth, is the question of the cynic. And cynicism does not equal wisdom and it does not equal sophistication. It does equal a mind that's shut. And we're not supposed to be cynics. We're supposed to be people who carefully examine evidence and check things out, but we're not to be cynics. And that's the situation that Pilate is. And he misses the most important moment in his life at this point. Permanent skepticism is either a sign of the weakest intellect or it is a confession that the problem of greatest interest to us is a problem we cannot solve, said Professor Thompson. Um, you know, basically, you, you have a lot of people who believe only in food and clothing and in science so-called and art. And, you know, that is the cynic. Skeptics, on the other hand, are people who are questioning whether something is true. They believe in truth. They just don't know that what you're saying is true. And skepticism is not something that Christianity has a problem with. There's no, there, Christianity is no foe to candid in inquiry. Um, the inquirer, God says uh, specifically to them, he who seeks will find. Jesus said, abide in my word and you'll be my disciple indeed and you'll sh you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And you know, in the Old Testament, God says, come let us reason together, you and I. Though your sins are as scarlet, yet they'll be as white as snow. And so when God gives us faith, it's a reasonable faith. God gives us reasons to believe. Um, I think it was actually Mark Twain. I, I, I need to make sure I get this quote right. Mark Twain said, faith is believing something you know is not true. That was his definition of faith. That is not the faith of the Bible. The faith of the Bible is believing something despite the fact that you don't see it in front of you right now, okay? And so that's what faith is, believing something that you don't see at the moment. You guys believe in the North Pole? You ever been there? Nope, I've flown over it. There's not a little, there's not a little flag down there. There's not a little pole down there you know, identifying the North Pole. I've flown over the North Pole and they've told me it was the North Pole. The pilot up in front said, going over the North Pole right now. And I believe that I have seen the North Pole. I believe it. I'm, I have faith that I've seen the North Pole and my faith is based on what an, an airline pilot said to me when he was looking at the map that he was using to circumnavigate the world. 
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.